the second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Philly Frenetics podcast. I'm Joe Greenwich. He's John Sager. John, we took a week off. whole bunch of stuff happened, but most importantly, the 4th of July, barbecues with friends. How did that go for you? It was great. I went to my brother-in-law's. They have an outdoor pizza oven. Uh-huh. Traditional, you know, brick oven. <laughs> Tra- uh, you traditional know. 4th of July barbecue food of pizza. Exactly. But it, hey, it's... I didn't have to do anything, and <laughs> the food was delicious, so it was a win-win. Now, d- did the pizza have a little bit of like smokiness to it? Like, give it that little barbecue, you know, charcoal fire bit, oven sort of thing. A little bit. The uh, pizza oven door caught on fire at one point during the, the the making of the pizza, so I think that that probably did give it a little bit of a, a, a smoky <laughs> taste. Ooh, I uh, hope everybody's all right there, John. All good. The food was delicious. Like I said, a win-win. <laughs> you, you like your pizza a little crispy like literally from the flames i think so i I think anyone with quality sense of taste likes you know little christmas to the dough sort of thin to medium crust but you know well well, well wait a minute I, I don't think we need to judge people's pizza tastes although you know i'm thinking you know we do a lot of drinking taste tests maybe down the line we got to get some fresh pizza and do a taste test of that. We compare our favorite uh, our favorite pies. Or somebody else already does that bit, but, you know. Let's not get on too much of a high horse. We're <laughs> about to judge a whole lot of people. <laughs> well, we do have a, a packed show. First, we wanted to, real quick, just hit on a couple of big stories from the last two weeks. I've got one that I just saw within the last two hours. We're recording on Monday afternoon. The Sixers have hired a new CEO, John. His name is Tad Brown. He will be the CEO of the Sixers and the New Jersey Devils. Have you seen this story yet? No, I have not. I did not know about it until you told me. I'm going to give you one guess what NBA franchise he last worked for. Ooh. Originally, I thought you, uh, at first I thought you said NBA, and I was thinking, well, Penn, because of course, (laughs) with this ownership group. But uh, I'm going to go with the Houston Rockets. Ding, ding, ding. Tad Brown used to work with Daryl Morey during the Rockets run of, I would call it success. They didn't win anything, but they were still a successful franchise. So those guys worked together back then. They're reunited. There's no way that's an accident. This guy has to be someone that they targeted right from the jump. But that story just broke today. Another story today, John, I think Stephen A. Smith might get himself canceled. The baseball all star game. I don't think that's possible. You know, if if anything was going to do it, this might be it. The baseball all star game tomorrow night. Shohei Otani is going to start on the mound and bat leadoff as a designated hitter. Basically, they're changing the rules of Major League Baseball for the all star game, and you know what? That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, he's going to start for the American League. Stephen A. Smith complained on his show today about him being the biggest star in Major League Baseball because he needs an interpreter, because he doesn't speak English, and that that's a problem. In 2021, someone with a major platform, one of the most visible 
media personalities in sports actually said that? Two things. One, that would qualify him to run the Seattle Mariners. (laughs) (laughs) From the top rope. Two, it's the first time I think I've watched a clip of that show and I wasn't thinking, well, Max Kellerman, you're the one that just said the dumb thing. So (laughs) congrats to him. Congrats to Max Kellerman for getting his own show, at least for the next couple of weeks, I'm assuming. (laughs) If I may... uh paraphrase a bit from Stephen a ain't no way he's going to get away with that one the other story that has kind of dominated the news cycle since we last recorded is that of shikari richardson u.s track star won a spot on the olympic team at the olympic trials and it was then taken away from her after she tested positive for basically marijuana i'm not sure technically what they test for if it's THC or something else, but she failed a drug test. Her times were wiped out. She no longer qualified for the hundred meter dash. She got a 30 day suspension, which is the bare minimum suspension you can receive. And that would have allowed her to still compete in the relays, but USA track and field did not name her to the relay squad. Despite again, her being probably the best hundred meter sprinter in the country. John, I'm sure you saw this story. I'm going to have a hot contrarian take here. I don't really feel all that bad about this. Like, I understand you know, she came out. She owned it. She admitted that she had smoked marijuana. She was grieving the loss of her mother. And she used it as, as part of her therapy for that. That I feel bad for her about. For sure. The loss of a parent is never easy. But th- there are rules in place. And when you break the rules, there are consequences. Everyone complaining about if it's a dumb rule. Maybe it is. I, I don't know a lot about the effects of marijuana on your body personally. I don't think they make you run faster. <laughs> but those are the rules. And you know the rules when you sign up to play the game. You know, you, you can't you can't enter a sweepstakes that you're disqualified from because someone in your family is running the sweepstakes. And then oh, well, that's a dumb rule because, you know, I haven't talked to that person in three months. You still can't play, you know? And I don't know why that was the example that just popped off the top of my head. But the reality is there are rules in place, and whether they're dumb or not, it doesn't matter. You knew the rules when you signed up. And so I I really feel like this is a much bigger story than it should be. And now we have congresspeople, certain celebrity congresspeople, getting involved, sending letters to... U.S. Anti-Doping Association, who basically said in response, if we don't do this, we will be violating the rules of the world anti-doping people, and then we are getting in trouble. It's just turned into a much bigger story than it should be. There are rules. They were broken. She's out. I'm sorry. And maybe that just makes me a crotchety old man, which would not be the first time anyone said that today. I can't say it's a contrarian opinion because it's the same opinion that I have about the issue. You could you could have two separate takes on this that are that are both correct. One is should it be you know, should it be a part of the testing? Probably not in 2021. Should we be upset that she tested positive? I, I don't care. It just it's just <laughs> it's just one of these things that it's like as you, as you said, it's in the rules. She knew it. It's unfor- It's unfortunate, 
it's not something I'm going to care about as, you know, we get through these Olympics. If there is an Olympics, yeah. <laughs> if I even, if I even watch these Olympics, because quite frankly, I, I, this is probably, I, it's, I'm not a huge Olympics fan as, as it is. Although I say, probably say that. And then every year I, I spend a disproportionate amount of time watching them when they are on. I digress, but I, I feel like this is a story that, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely blown out of proportion especially given the context of should the Olympics even be happening during a pandemic at a country that is having their COVID rate spike. I think that's the bigger issue and that's the one we should be focusing on. Are we sending our athletes, you know, to, to a place where they should be going that that's something that we need to think about. I think more than, than this issue. I could not agree more, although I will Take exception with one thing you said. John, baseball's back in the Olympics, so I'm sure you're going to be watching the Olympics. Maybe. <laughs> Ultimately, I think this rule will be changed, or at least maybe the the threshold of of what you can have in your system. So like anything short of like taking a bong hit right before you go run your race probably won't trigger anything. The thing that people are forgetting is that you know, you want to complain about marijuana being legal in a lot of places here now. It's not legal other places in the world. And these rules are for everyone, not just for Americans. So an unfortunate situation that unfortunately is still a situation and will only continue to be rammed down our throats over the next, I don't know, three, four weeks during the Olympics. But that's a lot we've already discussed. We've got more. We've got Sixers talk because, of course, we do. We are going to talk about the Phillies as they are at the All-Star break right now. And one more thing that, that that I think that I need to talk about, that that John probably has no interest in talking about, is probably going to, you know, go make himself a sandwich and maybe, maybe cook himself an entire pizza while I'm talking about it. Of course, we're talking about Euro 2020, a little bit about the Copa America, a couple of big international soccer tournaments that just wrapped up. But first, before we get into any of that, hey, John, what are you drinking? Apparently, Ramble Mule Cocktail. That's funny. I've got the same thing. I want to say thank you to our dedicated listener out in Bloomington, Indiana, who's also my sister. She has gifted us Cardinal Spirits Bramble Mule Cocktail. It's, it's a canned cocktail, and she said... You guys should taste test this on the show. She gave us a couple of, of options, and this is the one that we've chosen for today. It, according to the can, is a vodka fizzed up with raspberry, ginger, and hibiscus cocktail. I am going into this expecting to hate it, which I probably shouldn't. That probably makes me not a very good taste tester to have a preconceived notion of what I'm about to drink, but... Regardless, uh, you want to pop these babies open and see what we think? You know, I I will. I'll say this. Uh, I, I am a little doubtful. However, she is a scientist. So I will. <laughs> I'm thinking that this has been tested, you know. I'm guessing it won't kill us, but I don't know if we're going to enjoy it or not. So let's, let's pop it open and, and we'll see, see what we got we'll here. See. Oh, I just fizzed it all over my screen, John. 
Well, while you're cleaning <laughs> up, I'll mention it. Let's see. Is it all pink hue? I'll take my first sip. Well, hold on a second. Let me let me get my assessment of the of the beverage before I'm tainted by your thoughts. I, I, I seriously, <laughs> all over the screen, I had to clean it up. The smell, the smell is, um, I really don't smell anything. Hmm. All right. Well, you, you took a sip already. Bottoms up. Huh. I think, I think I taste raspberry. I don't know that I would know what ginger and hibiscus tasted like, but there is definitely, like you mentioned, a pinkish purplish hue on the uh, rim of my can here. We probably should pour these into glasses when we do this. So we can better Probably. assess them. <laughs> I mean, popping open the can is a nice little uh, sound effect for the for for the for the listening audience. But uh, I'll, hmm. I'll say for me, I think this tastes like liquid ketchup, but maybe ketchup that's been left out in the sun a little little bit too long. I don't know if that's a. I mean, that's quite vivid imagery. Uh, I don't. I, I don't have a habit of, of drinking ketchup, John, so I, I really can't compare it like I guess you can, but um, I don't get ketchupy taste to it. Now, it's supposed to be some version of, of presumably a, a Moscow Mule. I, I've never had one of those, but I believe you have. I have. I've never had one from a can, which <laughs> might be Well, the, I mean, if they the serve it to you in that little metal glass, what's the difference? I, I can tell you the difference right now. Um, this is uh, this is not my favorite. I appreciate her contribution to the you know what are you drinking segment, but um, I don't know if I'll be drinking this one often. It's not so bad that I'm just going to throw it away right now. I'm going to try to get through it as we as we continue. Um, yeah, it's not the best. It's not really my uh, my cup of tea. Tune in for next week's taste test, a cup of tea. Um, but, you know, thanks to my sister for for this. We've got a couple other options that she's provided us that we will try over the weeks to come. But I think we picked this one first to kind of get it out of the way as much as anything. I agree. I will say on the second and third sips, it, it is tasting a little bit better. Um, or are you I'm just getting drunk? Maybe. Uh, it could be, it could be, uh, I, I will say this might actually taste better after it's been frozen for a bit. Mm. I could see that being a scenario that, that, that works maybe out Maybe over well, ice or something? It, maybe. So we, we could be doing a disservice to the cocktail. I, I think the problem is, well, she brought me four, so we can always try it again. I think, That's true. I think the problem for me is that I am not a vodka guy. Like if there are mixed drinks with other alcohols in it and vodka, like I'm thinking specifically of the white Russian, I don't put vodka in it because it's just too much. I don't like it. So when the cocktail is based in in a, in a in an alcohol that I do not drink with any regularity, I think that kind of puts it you know behind the eight ball to start. But um, yeah, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep going. I'll see uh, see how uh, how the rest of the day. I mean, it, it, it's it's. Certainly not your standard heavy cocktail. It is clearly designed to be refreshing, which makes it appropriate for day drinking, which is essentially what we're doing at this point. I mean, it's four o'clock on a Monday. What can go wrong from this? <laughs> well, we'll see how things unfold over the course of the rest of the show. But I guess it's time we get into some of the rest of the show. So I will say that is, what are you drinking 
Brought to you by Cardinal Spirits, who surely wants to sponsor us after that glowing review. John, I am tired of hearing about the Ben Simmons situation. So I was thinking we could talk about the Ben Simmons situation. I can think of nothing better to talk about right now <laughs> because honestly, I'm a little irate. A, a little? I, I don't think that's possible. I feel like there, there, there aren't degrees of irate. Irate itself is a degree of something else. What's got you so uh, hot under the t-shirt collar here in mid-July? Oh my God, it's mid-July. Two people actually. <laughs> okay. Danny Green, I think, you know, at this point, people might know Danny Green made some I don't, I don't want to say disparaging, but perhaps misguided comments about Philadelphia fans. And then Jackie McMullen, who also might have made some, I would say, misguided comments about Philadelphia fans, both in relation to Ben Simmons. I did not see Jackie McMullen's comments, so why don't you tell me and the listeners what she said? She was on the Bill Simmons podcast, which is good, especially this time of year. I, I like listening to it because it gives a comprehensive view of the NBA playoff picture and, you know, the a league that is perfect for, for drama. <laughs> uh, she's talking about Ben Simmons and she was talking about the vitriol he had received from Philadelphia fans. And this was in part because of a story that she had worked on with him a couple of years ago. And, you know, Danny Green also, you know, mentioned the Philadelphia fans and about how basically the, you know, you can't turn on a team when, when things go badly. When I look at both situations, they're, they're both sort of indicative of this, the, the same type of problem. So Danny Green, who is in town for one season, I'm not expecting him to, you know, come out and, you know, do the, almost the cliched, you know, Philadelphia fans are, you know, the best, blah, blah, blah. He's played it probably for half the league at this point. So, (laughs) And he's won rings the last two years before this one. Exactly. So he's very familiar with, you know, how he actually should say he should be familiar with how different NBA fan bases operate. He's not necessarily familiar with the entirety of the process, nor would I say uh, Jackie McMullen, because she hasn't been here, you know, the the whole time she's, you know, coming into town to do a piece, blah, blah, blah. So she's a Boston writer talking in a Boston based podcast. Let's be real. Yeah, I mean, I would think that does does affect. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt there. But in both situations, when I look at, you know, the quote unquote vitriol for Ben Simmons, I, I don't know if this is just Ben Simmons's camp showing her his Twitter mentions because when I look at, when I watch a game or, or when I've been to a game, I can't think of with the exception of Markel Fultz who had an identical problem involving, we'll say mechanics, but we all know it was probably something else with something as basic as shooting. I can't think of a, you know, how many how many cities that are this passionate about their basketball team would be so supportive of those players? Philadelphia gets a bad rap. Sometimes it's deserved, sometimes it's not. When I looked at it, when you think back of Mark Hall Fultz's time here and you know, on the free throw line, you know, the, the Fultz chance, that was cool. You know, sort of doing, you know, sort of ripping off the Minnesota Vikings. Well, I shouldn't say sort of, ripping off Minnesota Vikings fans. That was, that was kind of cool. That was supportive. I think people 
might have grown tired of him. But whatever someone's calling up to sports talk radio, that, that shouldn't. If you're an athlete who's worried about that or your Twitter mentions, then honestly, you're, you're paying attention to the wrong people. Because when I watch a game in the arena, you saw people cheer for them when they're at the free throw line, just almost imploring. I, I, I think what I saw this. NBA postseason, I saw fans trying to will Ben Simmons to shoot 60% from the free throw line, just so that way you could get to that next round. When I, I, I don't see this, this vitriol that comes out of nowhere. I'm, I'm sure people have said awful things to him. NBA players get that in any city. I don't know what makes Philadelphia so different, especially when you're talking about something so basic as shooting free throws. Uh, it, it, to, to me, I was kind of, I don't, I don't want to say offended, but it bothered me that both of those comments came out. And I think for me, the lasting image of this playoffs outside of the yips dunk is going to be that fan who TV cameras showed to who was showing Ben Simmons how to shoot a free throw while he was at the, the free throw line. Because honestly, I wanted that fan to shoot Ben Simmons' free throws because it seemed like he had better form. Do you think that's supportive? That's mocking behavior. When it, when I look at that clip, it's a it's a fan kind of saying like, "Come on, like you, you got this. Like this is how you do it. You got this." I, I don't think there's been any comparison to the way the fans have treated Ben Simmons this year to the way they treated Markel Fultz. I think that I think vitriol is a strong word, but. Yeah, I mean, if you go on social media, it's always going to be worse. But even on social media, people were much kinder to Markel Fultz. The difference here is that Markel Fultz probably had people in his ear and he changed his mechanics. Ben Simmons' problem is entirely a mental problem. So when you have that, and and I don't, I don't want to use this word, but like he played like he was soft. He played like he was mentally soft in the that that series against Atlanta. So I think Danny Green is just basically trying to support his boy, you know, like he's like, I got your back, Ben. And and maybe Ben will feel better about that because maybe Ben's the kind of guy who needs to hear that. And I think that that's kind of along the lines of of something he said in an interview a couple weeks before was that Ben was the kind of guy who needs to hear more positive reinforcement, needs to be kind of told, you know, go ahead and shoot. You got to shoot. We need you to shoot more than just instinctually doing it. And, and so I see it as Danny Green just backing up his teammate. Um, I, I think it's, it's misguided, like you said, to try to tell the fans not to boo and not to, not, not to, be, to be mean on social media because when you do that, they just make it worse. But I, I feel like I know where Danny Green's coming from, and in a lot of ways he's not wrong. I, I do feel like Ben Simmons has come in for a lot more stick than – say Markel Fultz did, but I think it's also because like when Markel Fultz lost his, his shooting touch, he had nothing else. Ben Simmons has so many other talents, but he can't use them because he can't be on the floor because he's an offensive liability. So I think any sort of resentment from the fans, like just personally, when, when Markel Fultz wasn't going to play, it was like, oh man, we wasted that number one pick. When Ben Simmons has to come out late in a game because he's a liability both on the offensive end and from the free throw line, I'm like, man, we could really use his passing and defense out there, but he's absolutely killing them at that end of the floor. 
So personally, I feel a little more anguished about it than I did that, that Markel Fultz wasn't playing. So I imagine that there's a lot of other people that feel that way. I just think Ben Simmons is so much better a player than Markel Fultz that him not being able to, 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 to perform the way he needs to, or even, you know, half the way he needs to is much more detrimental and therefore much more frustrating to the fans. So I disagree that we've been supportive of Ben Simmons. I feel like the fuse was very short. You know, the whole Ben, you got to shoot a three thing maybe is along the lines of what you're saying. But in these playoffs, it's turned. It is absolutely turned. And I think that more of the fan base is against him than are actively trying to support him. I think that's that's changed. I think that's definitely the case now. But prior to, you know, the three minute and 29 second mark of the last game. I think people were still hoping that he would, you know, do well and you know rise above it. And now I think that number has completely flipped. That maybe, you know, a quarter of the fan base probably thinks that you know he still might do it. Whereas now I think it, it's clear in a way people know that this is who he is, and you know whether or not you think he's capable of changing. I think people became a lot more vocal about it right when he had that epic pass or whatever the opposite of epic is (laughs) oh it's Um, epic just not for for any good reason if you're a hawks fan it's epic (laughs) but i i I think it's i think it's entirely changed and you know we're about to look at a few trade rumors for ben simmons going out of town (laughs) i'm bracing for the narrative of philadelphia fans chase ben simmons out of town because that's going to happen and it's not the case Ben Simmons chased himself out of town, but that's not how the story is going to be told in the long run. We're both on the record with with what we think should happen and is going to happen. You are in the goodbye Ben camp. I am in the I don't know that I would trade him except for the perfect deal camp. So when we were discussing things to talk about on the show and we said, let's put together some Ben Simmons trade possibilities along the lines of me not really thinking they should trade him and you, you know, ready to drive him to the airport. You have multiple options and I just have one, (laughs) one acceptable trade option. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give mine because one of yours is similar. I went into the NBA trade machine on ESPN.com and it factors in salaries and, and the salary cap and, and what you're allowed to trade and all that. And I pulled up the Sixers and I pulled up the trailblazers Ben Simmons and Damian Lillard, straight up, that works in the trade machine. Now, if you're if you're the Sixers, do you do that deal? I think you do. If you're the Blazers, do you do that deal? Probably not. However, if the Sixers trade their first-round draft pick along with Ben Simmons to Portland for Damian Lillard, both teams get what they need. The Sixers need a Damian Lillard-type player, probably someone a little younger who plays a little more defense but they need a guy like that. Portland needs to kind of blow it up and start over. Like they've, they've hit their head against the ceiling so many times with this group. And this is widely discussed and everyone talks about, Oh, getting rid of Yusuf Nurkic or, or CJ McCollum. I kind of feel like you're just papering over cracks at that point. Like Portland probably needs its own process of some sort, not maybe as 
long and, and difficult as the Sixers one, but I think they maybe need to start over. And so you get a guy like Ben Simmons in there. If you feel that you can quote unquote fix him, you send out Damian Lillard, you get a draft pick. They, the Sixers may have to put another future number one that conveys into twos or something down the line. But I think that's the only deal I would do is a deal that puts Damian Lillard in a Sixers uniform. And I say that because I know that you have an idea that involves Ben Simmons leaving town and Damian Lillard coming to Philly, but someone else is involved. So, so John, you've got a whole bunch of trade options here. The floor is yours. What do you think are the best trade possibilities for the Sixers and Ben Simmons this offseason? I agree. You know, obviously, Damian Lillard coming here, if that happens, you can't turn that down if you're Daryl Morey, especially if it's just straight up. I don't think it can be straight up. I don't even think picks are going to do it from the Sixers because they're picking so low in the first round right now. Picks from Oklahoma City, however, maybe. So my thought on this, my thought on this would be Ben to Oklahoma City, Damian Lillard comes here, Oklahoma City's picks because they have, I think, an entire year's worth of draft picks at this point. Send that to Portland and that gives them the foundation. I don't know if Oklahoma City would do it. It might depend on how many picks. You know, they just made the the trade for Kemba Walker. I don't know if he moves somehow in that, you know, to, to offset the salaries. Because I don't necessarily see Ben and Kemba playing together. I, I don't know what the point of that would be. So I, I feel like that that would work because I don't want to trade Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel. Same situation as the Kyle Lowry trade deadline scenario from earlier this year where you know, I don't want to trade those pieces. So if you can make that trade happen without giving up both of those, you know, I think future core players go for it. I would trade Tyrese Maxey in a deal that got me Damian Lillard in half a heartbeat. If I'm Portland, I, I kind of want a guy like that in return as well as Ben Simmons in the picks. I would trade one, but I wouldn't trade both of those players. I just don't know that Portland, like you'd have to be getting multiple, you know, presumably good first round picks in order to send out Damian Lillard and not get a foundational player in return. And I don't see Oklahoma City being willing to give those picks up because that was their whole strategy. You know, Sam Presti's got his own process going. Right. Unless for Oklahoma City might. I, I don't know how long they intend to do this, you know, process, quote unquote, but <laughs> for lack of a tank, it, it, it just sounds better than tank. So we'll see. I still think a, th- a third team has to happen here to make it work just because the Sixers don't have the picks. Speaking of picks, the Indiana Pacers allegedly offered Malcolm Brogdon and a first round pick for Ben Simmons. I wouldn't do that, but I was encouraged by if that's the floor of the Ben Simmons trade machine, then, you know, that that's something worth building off of. I think if you're going to do that, you need another piece, preferably to replace Danny Green's, you know, offense. Danny Green will be back. I'm not positive of that because anything can happen, but I know the Sixers want him back. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might depend on the situation, how the situation with Ben pans out first. Because you might need someone to compensate. If you have someone who is more of a, I'll say, pass-first point guard. Not that there's too many of them left anymore. I think they're becoming more of a a relic. 
if you tr- if you get that in as your point guard, you might want another shooter because D- Danny Green offensively is not as good as he used to be. Not that he was ever, you know, a top guy on the team ever. But I, I when I was watching them this season, he struck me as someone who is going to be a bench player very soon. You are just I slandering just, him because of the comments I, he made about the fans. I, Danny I Green is a 3 and D guy. If the Sixers trade away Ben Simmons, their D takes a severe hit. So you you can't just be getting rid of all of your guys who are good at defense. Like I, I, I think Danny Green should be an important part of the Sixers going forward, either as that fifth starter guy or that first guy sharpshooter off the bench type. I don't think we've ever more violently disagreed about something in the history of the show. But what I watched him play this year, he wasn't that good of a three guy. I think he was a solid, you know, defensive guy. But I think you need more volume. I really do. And maybe that's in part because of Ben Simmons to where you don't have that other perimeter guy. So maybe if you do get a point guard who's a better perimeter shooter, then you can come back with Danny Green. I just don't think he's got quite as much left in the tank as you do. Malcolm Brogdon, I feel like I said this on the show before. Maybe it was off the air. If if the Sixers traded for Malcolm Brogdon, who basically has been holding Joel Embiid's Rookie of the Year trophy for the last three or four years, he would have to be traded before the season started. He'd be run out of town by the fans, and that would be the fans. Like I don't think that Joel Embiid would even have to troll him. The fans would do it for him, and Malcolm Brogdon would be completely broken as a player and maybe even as a person before he even got here. There is no way, as a Sixers, you can make that trade. At all. Especially no, for it, Ben Simmons. It can't be straight up for them. You would And it's need essentially a, straight point. up. If you're getting the, the Pacers' number one pick ain't all that great. But that's why you need something more. Like I said, I still think a third team needs to be involved in this I, somehow. I, I think the Bramble Mules got us a little uh, a little belligerent, a little rambunctious. If we were Possibly. in person, we might have a barroom brawl here. Possibly. Well, well, we'll see what happens with the final trade that I, I want to bring up. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I say that, and then I take another big sip of the uh, of the can. <laughs> so, De'Aaron Fox for Ben. If you're going to look for a team to make a bad trade with, the Kings have been happily trading <laughs> with the Sixers. They're been as trading much with part- Sam Hankey, John. That's, that's true. Sam Hankey's the one that had pictures of Lottie Divac. They, they took the Ed Wade Houston Astros, you know, whatever trade the Phillies were making with them at the time, that that mojo got transferred to Sacramento, you know, shortly thereafter. So De'Aaron Fox, and you could do that, I think, somewhat straight up. Would you Would you do that? Because he's much younger. You'd still probably be able to have a quick-paced transition game. Obviously, he's not as good defensively, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I, you could, I could see it working and you'd have a, you know, an all Kentucky backcourt, you know, for any Kentucky fans out there. I'm going to show my East Coast bias here. As a guy who plays in Sacramento, I don't see De'Aaron Fox all that often. So I don't feel qualified enough to comment on whether or not that's a good trade. I think Ben Simmons is a top 20 player in the league if he just tries to play offense. I don't know if De'Aaron Fox is, and I don't say that the way that a that a pundit says, you know, I don't know if he's really as good. I say it because I don't know. So I, I don't want to comment on this trade offer 
But I do agree that, you know, he's a young guy. And if you can get a young guy who won't disrupt how you want to do things, then that's something certainly to consider. And I know he, he does play at a fast pace. I mean, sticking Tyrese Maxey in the starting backcourt sounds like what you're proposing with your all Kentucky backcourt comment, right? Eventually. I would say, I, oh, I, oh I eventually. Say okay. All right. I, say this is a I was going to say, I don't think projection. that's a 2021 22 uh, thing that we want to get into there. No, he needs, uh, I would say, at least one offseason and then one developmental season more where, you know, he just works on a shot. I, I, I think it'll happen, but he just needs a little bit more time. He's definitely young enough to where I think there's tons of room in his game to grow. I do want to say this. I think our differences on these trades are I think Ben is never going to be that guy, whereas you're still holding out hope. I just don't ever see it. I wouldn't call it hope. I would just say, like, it's very obvious what needs to be fixed. The question is just whether it will be fixed. You say there's no way. I say, why not? Well, even if, if, if he fixes it, why is he fixing it? It's because he doesn't want to get booed. It's not because he has got some inner desire Whatever to, you know, reason, to, to win. But the that's ends not, justify the means. <laughs> no, but what, whatever happens, whatever the playoffs come around, he's going to revert back to that guy. If he has some complete transformation where all of a sudden he's going to be the most competitive guy, become a gym rat, sure. Right now, though, I don't think he can do that in London, watching Wimbledon, where he currently is. I'm not saying he can't take a vacation, but... What he's done so far doesn't speak to me as a guy who has rededicated himself. Go ahead. I could tell you are you are <laughs> fighting something back right here. Well, it, it, this is, again, coming down to a fundamental disagreement over what is wrong with him. You think he should be in the gym working on his jump shot. I maintain he needs to get away from everything and everyone. Like, he needs to clear his head completely. He needs to go down to Margate. Maybe not with Joel Embiid. I don't think those two are probably on the best terms right now. But he needs to go and be on vacation. He needs to think about anything but basketball. That's why I think that playing for Australia wouldn't have helped him at all. Maybe he would have played better for Australia. And maybe he would have played offense. And then he would have come back to an absolute crap storm of criticism for it. Maybe he would have played bad on a global scale. And... And that would have made things worse. He needs to get away. He needs to go to London and watch Wimbledon. He needs to wake up at 1.30 in the afternoon and play video games with Carl Anthony Towns. Turn the Twitch off. Maybe we don't need to, to be brought into it. But just he needs to chill out and relax and do whatever makes Ben Simmons feel relaxed and happy. And then mid-August or whatever, you're back in the gym, clear mind, full heart, can't lose. I know I butchered that saying, but the idea being that he needs to reset, not physically, but mentally. I believe this is entirely a mental block, not a physical skills issue. Yeah, the jump shot's a physical skill, but the the, the lack of wanting to take it is entirely mental. That's what I think he needs to do. He needs a complete mental clean out, like, like, like a brain enema, if that's a thing. And now I know you're envisioning it, so you're probably a little disgusted by it. But he just needs to completely wash this season and maybe maybe all of the seasons out of his mind and just get back to playing basketball later. Not right now. You couldn't be more wrong. The only way <laughs> he gets over this. I could be more wrong. I could be you. <laughs> 
The only way he gets over this is by spending the time in the, in the gym to overcome you are such the mental a block. It's, sports dog it's, radio caller it's, right it's, now. No, John. no. What have you seen from him? He's done this. This is what he's done every offseason. No, what I've seen is videos of him in the gym shooting three-pointers in the offseason, and look where it's gotten us. Try something new. With his, his brother's been the coach. Like, <laughs> how, how hard is your brother going to coach you? Like, like this, is, this is ridiculous. I, I it's, think, it's I not... think we, we, we put too much value into these, these gym rack guys. Like, we look at Kobe being the first guy in and the last guy out, and Jimmy Butler doing jump shots at 5 in the morning, and we, we lionize these guys as this, this paragon of what we want our professional athletes to be. But we forget that, you know what, maybe that doesn't work for everyone. John, do, do you work best at your job if you – you get up at five in the morning and you, and you work for 12, 14, 16 hours to get just that little bit better at your craft and then go right to bed and sleep in your hyperbaric chamber and wake up at five o'clock the next morning and do it over again. No, no, you, you, you work better when you feel better. And what makes you feel better? Hop it on zoom with me once a week, ranting and raving about Ben Simmons and what's going on. Same for me. Do I work better when I go to the office early and leave late and spend all of my waking hours at work? No, nobody does. There are some guys, honestly, guys like Jimmy Butler, I think they do it for show. That's that's because we have made it like, oh, if you want to be truly great, you have to dedicate every minute of your life to this. You don't. And Ben Simmons is part of a younger generation, and the younger generation maybe doesn't work that way. You know what? They're still very talented players, and they're still very skilled, and they still get things done. I don't think that Ben Simmons is going to benefit from being in the gym every day in the middle of July. I'm sorry. And you're not going to convince me otherwise, which is a really, I know it's a real, it's a real mature way to go into a debate and say, I will not change my mind, but I really don't think I can change my mind on this right now. First of all, I am a natural born talent. <laughs> That's right. You don't need to put any time already. Exactly. I think, I think we need to get that disclaimer out there. <laughs> I apologize. How dare I? Secondly, I'm not talking about Ben Simmons making an all-star team or anything like that. I'm talking about winning. And both those guys made the finals. Both the guys you mentioned made the finals. You know, Kobe having won, what, I believe three titles, four? And, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so what do those guys have in common? I'm talking about winning at this, at this point. And right now we have a maybe two or three years with Joel Embiid still being healthy, and it's just ridiculous to constantly wait on, oh, geez, is Ben going to work on his game this this offseason? Is he actually going to shoot? It's like, no. like We've seen this before countless times. I'm done. I'm over it. He just needs to go. John, I think we need to take a break. I think we need to step aside. I, I would say finish our drinks. Maybe we need to put the drinks away. We need to stop, collect ourselves, take a deep breath. And when we come back, Maybe we each take a little segment to talk about something near and dear to our hearts and let the other guy chill out. What do you think? Well, I don't have any controversial uh, Euro 2020 takes, so there Perfect. You go. That's exactly what I want to hear. We'll talk about Euro 2020. We'll talk about the Phillies at the All-Star break and the guy they just drafted. When we come back here on the Philly Frenetics podcast, stick around. Coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. 
We're back here on the Philly Frenetics podcast. John, you and the listeners just got to hear a, a bit of one, one of my favorite songs from the last month. I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but it's just certainly in my head. It, it's called Three Lions. It's by a, an English group called The Lightning Seeds with two guys who were television presenters back in the mid-90s. It's basically England's football anthem. The last couple of weeks you've been hearing the phrase it's coming home it's coming home ultimately football came home briefly but then pulled a grandpa simpson put a tap back on and walked right back out the door england another penalty shootout heartbreak as the three lions lose the final to italy yesterday final score 1-1 italy wins 3-2 on penalties just just an agonizing penalty shootout and i'm not going to get too deep into it but the biggest sporting event in the world over the last month has been Euro 2020. And when you add in that the the final was being held at Wembley Stadium in London and that and that England has had some pretty notable failures on the world stage despite being the ones who invented the game, I, I won't say it was a disappointing ending to the tournament. But I will say it was like that movie you watch and you know the happy ending is coming. But instead of the couple being reunited, somebody flies off to a different country in the end and leaves the other one hanging. And you're like, oh, oh man, that's the end. Like it was definitely a bit of a, again, not heartbreak for me because I'm, I'm relatively a neutral here. But I think slightly less than fulfilling ends of the tournament. John, I know that you watched some of this at some point. So, do you have any thoughts on the Euro 2020 final? Well, the final score being 1-1, it, I think it I think it's obvious that there was actually more action trying to get into Wembley Stadium <laughs> in this particular match than in the actual match itself because that situation, a little crazy. But, you know, it, it, it seemed like a it was a hotly contested game. I winced uh it, it, I should say cringed. Uh, on the the one foul later mm-hmm. on, Jack Grealish was, caught uh, a cleat, very yeah, close to a, a very sensitive right, area, <laughs> right in the upper thigh. I, you know, a lot of times with injuries, you go, "Ooh, you know, that must have hurt." That's one that you know, I just curl up into a little ball and just kind of have a sympathy cry because that that <laughs> is not something that I would want to have experienced ever. <laughs> when I mentioned that I wanted to talk about this on the show, I sent you the link to the Three Lions song. And I wanted you to listen to it. As a music guy, I thought you would at least appreciate what I think of as this perfectly delicious bit of mid-90s Britpop. Like, it's 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 so from its era. But it comes back around every time there's a major tournament. And, and, and it's kind of a sign of the existential pain of, of an English football supporter. Um, what were your thoughts on the song? Not good. Not good whatsoever. I I think is it because you don't understand any of the references? No, I I I get it. It's just a bad sounding song. Certain eras age better than others. That's a particular era. As a really I, big I, fan of, of '90s Brit rock, I'm I'm starting to to question our friendship here over over what's happened over the last ten minutes. But it's not good Brit rock. It's just Brit rock. There's certain things that hold up the Sixers 
anthem is, is, is well john you kind of stepped on my but, toes there that's kind of the reason that i brought it up i think like every couple of years that they, they it used to be a thing where soccer teams would record these quote-unquote anthems for these tournaments you know here in this country we're familiar with the super bowl shuffle but i was thinking i was like man we should do like a philly sports song somebody should should do a song and i'm like well wait a minute we've already got one two three four five sixers like that is probably the best sports team actual song. Like the, the Eagles fight song is not an actual song. It's it's a a little chant ditty thing that people sing every now and then, like when the team scores a touchdown. Which fewer and further between last year I get, but the Sixers song is an actual song. You know, with a beginning, middle, end, as is Three Lions. It reminds me of that, and, and we have obvious affection for the Sixers song, and I could tell that. That's how the English people have come to feel about this song. It reminds them of a time. It was written for Euro 96, which was being hosted by England. England went on to lose that uh, semifinal, rather. They didn't quite make the final. They lost the semifinal at Wembley Stadium to Germany in a penalty shootout. The guy who missed the kick that lost the, the shootout, his name is Gareth Southgate. If that name sounds familiar to you, especially you, John, having just watched the final yesterday, he is the manager of this English squad. The England squad is is, is a young, likable squad. They're very socially conscious. They're they're very talented. But in the end, you could argue that Gareth Southgate's managerial decisions cost them another shootout. But I said I wasn't going to get too deep into the strategy of it. I definitely wanted to to start with that because I thought you would like the song, the whole, like, just, you know, it, especially with this, again, this, the Sixers song. I, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that you, you didn't like it. Well, for people who don't know, there's actually two great sounding Sixers songs. The, the one we all know, and then the, Unforgettable faux five faux recorded by Pieces of a Dream, which <laughs> has you know is a great groove. It's timeless. That is a great this, sports anthem group name, Pieces of a Dream. What <laughs> what uh, what what better symbolizes what it's like to to root for a team <laughs> than having pieces of a dream? That rhymed. That should be a lot. We're gonna write a song around that. Okay, sure. I'm gonna write a song around that. I'm gonna write the lyrics not, not to a song out. about that. <laughs> I'll just summarize it again. This song, I'm fine with never hearing this one again. I, I'm I'm borderline heartbroken here. You watched the match on replay, correct? Yesterday? I watched the end of it real time. I have seen every match of Euro 2020 to this point. Not in full, but at least in part. I had a prior commitment yesterday that overlapped with at least the start of the match, and it stretched into the to later parts. I got home during extra time. I had set a recording on the on the DVR to record the match. I managed to avoid the score. I turned my phone off. I was like, I'm going to get to watch the match. But what I didn't count on was seeing the length of time of the recording. So I, I, I couldn't help myself but to do the math, and I thought, oh, this based on when this recording ends the match is going to end in regular time. So when it's 1-1 late, and Italy again, deserved winners, if not, again, a little emotionally hollow by the end of it. As they're going forward, I'm like, oh no, England's going to lose this. 
in like the 93rd minute in like the, the fourth minute of stoppage time. But then it goes to extra time. And I'm like, huh? At 9958 on the clock, my recording cuts out and I am freaking out. So I, I go to the TV list and I see they're running the replay, but the replay is on ESPN two and it's in the 30th minute. And I'm like, Oh no. Like I, I do. I want to wait an hour. I managed to pull up ESPN plus my sister. Like I said, she delivered the cocktail. She helped out. Made sure I didn't see any result. Put the replay of the match on. Watched it probably three hours after the fact. It was so difficult to stay away from like Twitter. Like, because like during a game, like there's all this stuff going on, you know, the second screen experience. So to not be a part of that was disappointing. But I wanted to to see the match in its entirety, you know, myself. In 2010, I had to go to work in the middle of the third period of the gold medal game between the USA and Canada in Olympic hockey. So I set a tape for the next couple of hours and I avoided the result. And I told people, don't talk about it. I'm going to watch it when I get home. And yes, I said set a tape. I mean like a VHS tape in a VCR 11 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I overheard a couple people talking at the place I was for work. And I was like, oh man, they kind of ruined it. But hey, sounded like we won in overtime. So imagine my surprise when I watched the tape and it was Sidney Crosby in Canada that won in overtime. I was reminded of that experience watching this when I discovered by watching I was a lot more invested in England than, than I thought I was. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, gearing yourself up all day. I was thinking about it all day, trying to avoid stuff, putting in all that effort and then having it end the way it did. The way that honestly... If you asked me before the tournament, hey, England's going to make it to the final. How's it going to go? I would have said, oh, they're going to lose a penalty shootout. Because that's that's what England does. Like the, the saying, it's as American as apple pie. You could replace apple pie with losing in a major tournament in a penalty shootout. It's as English as losing in a tournament in a shootout. Like that, that is, it's what they do. I need, I need to confess something. I think we stopped watching at about the same time. Your recording turned off. I think my brain might have done the same thing at the same time. I fell asleep. <laughs> I, I went. It, I went to find more. You just stopped. <laughs> I, I I fell asleep during the third overtime and uh, had still. I actually until you. I knew who won, but when I tried to look up highlights at the end, Twitter was just showing the uh, the aftermath and yeah. the celebrations, and not not the actual highlights because it's a shootout. So right, <laughs> it's a little little less climactic. But you know, I digress. I tried. I tried for <laughs> well, the I, sake of the podcast. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But it was just kind of a letdown to see that that it ended the way it did. Three straight penalty misses by three standout young players. Of course, those guys then came in for racist abuse on social media in the hours afterward, which just you know goes to show that maybe England fans don't quite deserve England's national team. And obviously, that is not what any of this is about, what it should be about. Unfortunately, it's going to be part of what people remember this tournament for. But I mentioned, you know, rooting for England. There are a lot of people in this country who who find it offensive to root for England. We fought a war, you know, and they'll root for whoever England's playing. I think those people are are stupid. Like for me, as a neutral, you know, when the U.S. is playing in a tournament, I support the U.S. team. But as a neutral. 
I'm, I'm rooting for my favorite players. And my favorite player right now is Kevin De Bruyne from Manchester City. He plays for Belgium. So when Belgium's playing, I'm rooting for Belgium. And Man City's former captain, Vincent Company, was the captain of Belgium for a long time. So that's my quote-unquote European team. I don't have any Belgian heritage. You know, I have Italian heritage. I could have rooted for Italy, Germany, Austria, Hungary, all these, all over Europe. I, I have teams I could root for. But I root for Belgium because I like some of the players on that team. Well, in England, that team is made up entirely of Premier League players. And the Premier League is the league that I follow the most. So that familiarity with these guys, in addition to guys that I like from Man City, like Raheem Sterling and, and John Stones and Phil Foden and Kyle Walker, the, the familiarity with everyone, like Harry Kane, plays for Tottenham. He's probably the best striker in the Premier League right now. I don't like Tottenham. And most of the year, I don't like Harry Kane. But you know what? I'm familiar with him. I know him as a player. And that so that's kind of how I, I, I'm gravitating towards the team I like. I have a buddy who watches a lot of the Bundesliga in Germany. He knows a lot more of the German players. It would totally make sense to me if he's invested in the German team more than, say, Italy or France or, or someone like that. So as a neutral, you know, you're rooting for players you like. And the players I like play for England, so I'm rooting for England to win. And I didn't realize how invested I was until I'm watching that match yesterday and they're up 1-0. I'm like, oh, they scored too early. They scored too early. And then Italy eventually, with, with dominating the match, was able to equalize. And I felt nervous. Again, this was something that had ended three hours earlier. And I felt nervous about the outcome. that had absolutely nothing to do with my everyday life. So Euro 2020 has come to an end. I think... It's going to be remembered really for, for three things. One is the steady increase of, of fans that have entered the stadium and also fan behavior. We talked about, again, the racist abuse. You mentioned the crush of people at Wembley trying to get in. Two kind of tied into that. It's going to be remembered for, for England, you know, what they did, getting so close and then stumbling over themselves. The other, and... and Maybe it's better that all of this happened while we were on hiatus because I would have talked about it for an hour. The Denmark team reached the semifinals in their very first match, shortly before halftime, their their best player, Christian Eriksen, as everyone knows by now, collapsed. And basically he died on the pitch. His heart stopped. He was revived by medical technicians. And it seems like he's going to be able to, to live a relatively normal life. I can't imagine his professional footballing career can continue. So I fully expect him to be managing the Danish national team in the World Cup in five years. But watching that, and I, I fully admit, I had gotten up early to watch a previous match and was kind of tired. I had dozed off during the first half of that game, and I woke up to see what was going on. And the first image I saw was the members of the Danish team surrounding a fallen teammate and medics doing chest compressions and right away I was taken aback like I can't imagine that's something that many of us have ever seen at a sporting event and you felt like after a while you were either going to see an absolute miracle or the worst moment in the history of televised sport like I said it was, it was an absolute miracle they they revived Christian Erickson and shout out to his teammate, specifically Captain Simon Kerr, Danish defender, recognized that this was not a normal situation right away, 
got Erickson into the, they call the recovery position. They got the paramedics out there, not just the trainer. He organized his teammates to kind of stand around in a circle to block the cameras, to give privacy. You know, they held up sheets as they wheeled him off on the gurney. You know, he then went and consoled Christian Erickson's partner, him and, and goalkeeper Casper Schmeichel. But in, in the ultimate sign that life isn't fair, Denmark, well, one, had to go back out and finish that match. But beyond that, they reached the semifinals. And Denmark is a good team. Christian Eriksen is the best player on Denmark. They are a very good team. It was kind of a chic pick to, to maybe make it to the end and win it with him. They make it to the semifinal without him. They lose in extra time. But during regular time, they conceded a goal after going up 1-0. And what was the goal? It was an own goal by Simon Kerr. Like the guy who was so lauded for for what he did in that match and should have been and is is literally a life-saving hero. Because life isn't fair. He conceded the own goal that tied the match between Denmark and England. But that is obviously going to be the enduring memory of this tournament. Thank God it was it was a happy ending in some way. Because like I said, as someone who is a fan, I was I was pretty shaken. And and I I didn't want to watch it, but I also couldn't look away. Like you 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 have to know what what's going to happen. You have to know what's going on. And it was it was it was a terrible terrible day that, that ended much better than everyone thought. And I think that's going to kind of be the enduring memory of Euro 2020. It's not going to be that the Italian team has now gone unbeaten in 34 some matches that they kind of resurrected themselves from failing to qualify for the last World Cup to return to their place at the top of the soccer world. It's going to be, you know, what Denmark did after what happened to Christian Eriksen and the fact that he survived that horrible incident and the way that the Danish team and the Danish people, and really the entirety of the football world kind of coalesced around that group. All the teams they played against brought them signed jerseys for, for him. Like some of them said Eriksen, some said, you know, like something from their team and just, they all sign them wishing good luck. It was, it was a reminder of, of the good that can come from sport in, in the midst of so many stories of, of what is bad about it. It wasn't the only tournament going on. I feel like we didn't talk at all about Copa America. Honestly, the way Copa America and the CONCACAF gold cup are maybe less said the better, but in the end, Lionel Messi, widely considered the greatest player of all time, Finally won a trophy with Argentina as they knocked off Brazil in Brazil's home stadium. 1-0 the other night. I don't really think Messi needed the validation, but a lot of people do. And now he's got it. John, I know you have some serious thoughts about the Lionel Messi-Cristiano Ronaldo debate. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. However, I know you do have serious thoughts on something else. So real quick, let's wrap up with... The Phillies at the All-Star break. The trade deadline's coming up, and this is usually where activity really starts to, to come together. The Phillies, right at 500. So, so now they kind of go into the deadline. They could be buyers more than sellers. John, how big is it that the Phillies are, are, are back to 500 right now? Really, nothing's changed. They're 500 team. They are who we thought they were. Or maybe they I are who say- you thought they were. <laughs> That's true. Something has changed since we talked about the uh, the buying and selling. I still think they should sell. I don't think they should sell Reese Hoskins because he's vaccinated. We know that. 
that is actually more important than you know <laughs> you might have thought. Uh, so at least we know we'd have one healthy player going into the playoff game. <laughs> they can't afford to bring that percentage down anymore. Yeah, a number of Phillies on the COVID list right now. Uh, I mean, people treat this as a, as like a, a free speech issue. I'm sorry if you're on a sports team where there is a competitive advantage to getting vaccinated, go get the shot. Like put your political beliefs or your you know, brainwashed political beliefs, whatever it is, put that aside, go get the shot and don't hold your team back. Like that, that's all it's, it's that simple. It's that simple. Yeah. I, I keep seeing things like I need more information. I, I think at this point, that's just a cop out. Just, just say it. Uh, but I, I don't want to get too far into that. I know you want to talk about a future Philly. Well, yeah, well, a future, possibly. a potential future Philly. <laughs> uh, the MLB who, draft going on right now. And yeah, some someone in the Phillies organization, I think, is <laughs> well, more accurate. Is the MLB draft uh, going true. on right now. And the Phillies had the 13th pick in the first round last night. And they selected high school pitcher Andrew Painter. I admittedly don't really follow high school baseball. I don't really follow draft prospects too in-depth. For any sport, really, and, and that's been discussed multiple times on the pod. But, John, it's the Phillies. It's potential prospects. I'm sure you've got about 15 bullet points. So tell us about Andrew Painter. Well, I don't want to get too far into, you know, is he going to make it into that's the That's a lie. You would love to get into it. <laughs> it's, but this episode's already gone on long enough. I ought not to, I should say. Uh, so... I don't know if he's going to make the big leagues. He's a high school pitcher. That's a risky pick. I don't know if last year's first round pick, Mick Abel, is going to make it to the big leagues. Same story. I do applaud the logic behind you know, their their first round picks from the last year. It, when Matt Klintak came in, he promised waves of pitching. Still waiting for the first ripple. Nothing's happened. I think Jojo Romero might be the best pitcher that Matt Klintak drafted, who's actually made it to the big leagues. But when you look at this year's first round pick, as well as Mick Abel, Carson Ragsdale, who was one of their four picks from last year's draft, I like the uh, I like what they're going for. They're trying to sh- shore up a weakness. Hopefully, it pans out. You know, they they tr- went after this wave of pitching concept. But they drafted a lot of bats with low ceilings. So I, I never quite understood that logic at the time. And it still hasn't worked out. When I look at these pitchers, you know, maybe they'll they'll make it. I saw a lot of, a, a lot of criticism of the pick because they didn't take Khalil Watson. I feel like if you're criticizing these picks too much and you're... It's not something you follow. You're looking... You're just looking at names and going like, oh, this is where I saw someone on a draft board and then they just fell. So I think they should get this guy who fell from the draft board. That's looking into it way too hard from a fan perspective and it's not fair to the organization. But, you know, obviously the Phillies have a weak track record, but they have a new scouting director, Brian Barber, who came in, you know, last year was his first full draft. Well, full draft, four rounds. <laughs> and then this year is his first full, actually full traditional length draft. When you look at what he's done, his first five picks, there were all these tall pitchers, uh, six, five and over. 
I like that they're trying to build a rotation. They're they're trying to get some pitching talent into the system. It's clearly a point of emphasis. Who knows if it's going to work out, but I do like the logic. I do like what they're going for. Hopefully we'll see Painter, Abel, and Ragsdale. You know, odds show that one of them is probably going to make it to the big leagues. Hopefully they get two and, you know, this endless rebuild has some pieces. Well, making it to the big leagues and actually contributing at the big league level are two very, very different things. Two entirely different things. And it, it it's probably going to be about five years before we know if either of these guys makes it. But when I look at Ragsdale and Abel stats, I see guys that are clearly lighting up low A ball. So we'll, we'll see what happens from here. I will say, I think Mick Abel is definitely a major league rotation name. You say, oh, that's just Mick Abel. It's like, oh yeah, no, that guy, that guy's a pretty good pitcher. Mick Abel. Then again, maybe maybe Mick Abel is a, a great pitcher in like the 1950s. But I de- I definitely think he's got a, 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 at least a little bit of a leg up through name alone. Well, probably not as much as their their fifth round pick from this year. You probably haven't seen the name Griff McGarry. That is a fantastic <laughs> name. That's that's a lacrosse name, I think. I, I think so. And as far as names, my biggest disappointment with the draft was that Kumar Rocker. Did not go to the Boston Red Sox. I was stunned to see how far he fell. Like he went to the Mets. So I'm sure uh, his unrelated uh, namesake, John, is thrilled to see (laughs) the Mets. (laughs) But to see him fall to 10 and see the Phillies were at 13, it was like, oh man, like that was pretty close. You know, I didn't follow him very closely this year. So I don't know if maybe some things cropped up that. Gave teams some pause. I know his numbers weren't as good, but him and Leiter were one and two on a lot of draft boards coming into the 2021 college season. And uh, I, I, I'm i disappointed that he'll be a Met. That's for sure. Well, John, I think we've gone on long enough. Everyone probably bailed out when I started talking about Euro 2020. You can find us on social media at Philly Frenetics on Twitter and Instagram. Search for us on Facebook as well. Our website, phillyfrenetics.com. And of course, you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're on it. Again, if you have a, a platform that you use and we're not on it, let us know. You can email us on our website, shoot us a message on social media, and we'll do what we can to get on there. John, we probably shouldn't go two weeks without talking and then have a big fight in the middle of the show. So next time we record, let's try to be a little more civil to one another. What do you say? I make no promises. All right, John. I'll talk to you next time. See you next time.